and welcome to Infinite Scale, the ultimate podcast for MSP owners. My name is Lara Pascoe and I'll be your host for this podcast. And in today, we'll be talking to MSP industry expert, James Vickery, and learning, or I suppose telling the story of how he personally overcame the common MSP owner challenges, such as burnout, staff turnover, and unscalable service models. James is a leading influencer in the global MSP community, and he has the key to building successful IT service teams. He is the author of Infinite Scale, the ultimate guide to growing your MSP, He's also the founder and the CEO of Benchmark 365, a white label help desk partner for managed service providers. And he's also the managing director of I Know IT, a technology communications MSP company that has deep expertise in cloud, hardware, software, and IT support services. James, hello, how are you doing today? Hi, Lara, great to be here. Hey, everyone. Awesome. All right, James, so let's do a quick recap of your experience as an MSP owner. You started the Australian-based I Know IT as an MSP provider to mid-sized companies across Australia. You've been running I Know IT for the last 20 years, which was prior to running Benchmark 365. And then so prior to starting Benchmark 365, as the MSP owner of I Know IT, you kept coming up against common challenges that prevented you from scaling and ultimately receiving for all of your hard work. What were some of those common challenges that you experienced as an MSP owner? Oh, how long have you got, Lara? <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone, any, any MSPs listening can relate to the many challenges that perhaps we didn't think of when we were starting out. A lot of MSP business owners started out as techies and that was me for sure. My goal was to just go out and help people and fix computers and hopefully grow a little business and and make a little money along the way. And it just kind of doesn't play out like that. You know, as soon as you start to get some customers, it's very exciting, but then you realize that you need some help. So you start that journey of learning how to become a leader, you know, learning how to let go and have other people do work for you. Uh, and that's super challenging. I think, to be quite honest, most MSPs, that's where they get stuck initially. And some don't actually break through that challenge of just figuring out how to get the right people on the bus, figuring out how to lead them, figuring out how to manage them, but also then being able to still be able to put food on your own table while you're growing that business as well. So we certainly had that challenge. I definitely had that challenge. The next challenge would be, of course, customer expectation, particularly when you start as a solo you know, we called, I called my MSP, I know IT, because I thought it was just going to be me. <laughs> and so I thought it was kind of clever at the time. But then when we started to bring people on, of course, the customer only wanted to talk to me. And there was lots of challenges in terms of sort of getting, getting delegation working so that customers were comfortable working with other members of my team. And that took a really long time. And then, of course, there's the whole pricing conundrum. You know, when you start out and you're small, yeah, typically a little cheaper. Yeah, that's sort of your edge is that you could, you don't have a lot of overheads, you don't have staff, you don't have, maybe don't even have an office. But once you start building, then naturally your prices need to go up and that creates a whole new challenge in sales. And so we sort of hit all of those obstacles in the early days and really, really for a good 10 years before we started to get a bit of leverage and figure out how to grow the business more effectively. Yeah, absolutely. So you're a solutions-oriented entrepreneur and you... you with no IT, you always had your eye on improvements and then how to help you scale. So you started looking for some solutions 
with the intention, I suppose, to build a service and staffing model for help desk that didn't necessarily just rely on one individual, whether that individual was you yourself or one of your team mm. members. You obviously wanted to make a solution model that was bigger than just the one person. Why, why was this important to you? I think the insight that I had, and it took a long time, a little bit slow, it took me a while, 10 years, but I realised that how much the MSP model is based on heroics. And what I mean by that is it's either you, the owner, being this hero that can do everything. You know, you can market and sell and do tech support and install servers and gosh knows what, you know, you're, you're kind of this hero. But often, too, we then impose that level of heroism on our staff. And so we don't recruit enough people. And often we're dependent on this, you know, one really great lead technician or one really great administration person. And of course, they are heroes, but they're not, you know, they're not robots. You know, they can't work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And eventually what you find in, if you're staffing your business that way is you and they are going to burn out. Um, and we just saw that over and over and over again. And of course, again, it took me a little bit, little while to figure that out. So I started to explore ways that we could build redundancy into our business. And what I meant by that, mean by that is why are we so dependent on one person? First of all, why are we so dependent on me, especially after a decade? Why can't I take a little bit of time off without checking my phone every five minutes? And why can't we build a bigger team around these heroes in the business as well so that they're, they're supported? And of course, you then run into this next obstacle, which is, well, to build out that level of scale comes at a cost. And in a Western country, such as, you know, the, the US or Canada or Australia, the UK, it's a very, very expensive proposition when you're a small business. So I went looking for solutions to effectively to that problem. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so how did you do it? What was an obvious solution for you? And I suppose, what, what was it that led you down the offshoring or the outsourcing pathway? Yeah, I think it was perhaps fortuitous, although it didn't feel like it at the time. We were really struggling. Our business had grown quite a bit, which was great. And we had a reasonable headcount of staff and lots of customers. And, and so we, by, on paper, I guess it looked like everything was fine, but every day was just chaos. It was very stressful. You know, I wasn't able to spend much time with my wife and my young kids at the time. The kids were very young and I wasn't spending much time with them. I was just working all the time, really stressed out. And then I had an opportunity to go on a business tour to Manila in the Philippines. And I didn't even know if I'd have time to do it, but it was just one of those things. It was a few of us in a peer group, an MSP peer group that decided we were going to get on a plane and go and do that. And yeah, so I had this opportunity to go over there and thought, well, um, Maybe there's something in this. Maybe this is an opportunity for us to do something different. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have any apprehension about outsourcing some of, I suppose, your key customer accounts or or sure. of your key pieces of work? And what, yeah, what was that? What sort of? Yeah, I think we all, that? unfortunately, we've all been, we've all had this really poor experience with offshoring, and it's been generated by very large companies, particularly in the 1990s and early 2000s, big big call centers you know, poor communication, poor skills, like everything, you know, we've all, we've all had that bad experience of talking to someone offshore. And, you know, I, and I say that as someone who has a very large offshore team who are all wonderful, but it's a different, it, it was different back then. And I think my perception was very much like, I really don't know that this is going to work for anything other than some very, maybe some basic backend support for our business. 
And I was worried as well, of course, with clients. Most of my clients were in the industrial space. So, you know, very blue collar, dare I say, rednecky <laughs> type, type <laughs> customers that I was really, really, really worried about their biases as well. So, yeah, I had, yeah. I had huge apprehension, but I knew that the, what we were doing wasn't working. I'd, I'd yeah. sat down conscientiously and said, this isn't going to get better. It's going to get worse. This is going to get harder. And that's not a really great feeling to have as an entrepreneur trying to grow a business. So I decided to to just give it a go. Yep. Great idea. And Dan, so tell us a little bit about, I suppose, your first experiences. So you've made the decision to either research or build a team in, you know, you've chosen the location, you've chosen the Philippines, and now you've jumped on a plane. Tell us a little bit, what were those first sort of one to maybe six to 12 months of, of establishing the team. How long did it take you to get familiar with working with an offshore team? What sort of cultural differences did you experience and what sort of challenges were there? Yeah. Before we even get to that part of just getting on the plane and going over there, one thing I did know deep down and I still know is to build an effective offshore team, you got to go. I know that we live in this remote world now and we can do things via team and Zoom and, and stuff like that, but to really build an effective culture and to immerse yourself in culture and actually understand what the differences are between where you are and where they are in life, I felt was really important from the get-go and has proven to be true since then. I've spent significant significant amounts of time overseas through this journey and I've seen lots of people try to do it without getting on a plane and going there and it's just not as effective in my experience. Yeah. So, so that was the first thing. But yeah, heading over there, Pretty polarizing. I'd traveled a lot through my career. I've traveled a lot to North America and traveled a lot through Europe and obviously Australia, where I'm from. But I'd actually spent really limited time in Asia. And so I'd passed through a couple of times. I'd had a couple of days here and there, but I'd never really been to anywhere like, for example, the Philippines, which was just, you know, Manila is a mega city. It's a developing nation. 10 years ago, it was even a little further behind first world nations back then. There's been a lot of improvements since then. So it was pretty polarizing. But the thing that really stood out for me that got me excited is that we had this opportunity to meet all of these different businesses. And many of those businesses were Australian, American, British companies, and so on. And what what I found to be phenomenal is like these companies had like a thousand staff, two thousand staff. And one company we met had like 150,000 employees. And here I am with my little MSP in Sydney, Australia. And I was like, what am I doing? I mean, obviously I didn't have grand ideas to run a company with thousands and thousands of people, but like we could at least get above 50 surely, you know, when I got there and saw that people had successfully built businesses overseas, that's what really inspired me to start to build something for us at our company. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. And so moving forward, you know, two or three years down the track, you've established a really good team of expert consultants in the Philippines. What sort of opportunities have opened up for you personally in your personal life and also professionally for the business once the the offshore team was in place and and they were humming along effectively for your MSP and also other MSPs? Yeah. Yeah. So we're still in the I know IT days, of course. So I was at that time, I was trying to replicate what we had in Australia, sort sort of to your earlier point, the benefits of outsourcing is that we could build some redundancy into our business. So instead of going and hiring, say, one person to do dispatch, we were like, well, why don't we hire three? You know, instead of having one all-seeing, all-knowing technician, why don't we get three or four of those and start to build a team and start to build some scale in? 
And obviously that that was hard, made huge mistakes, had huge turnover mm-hmm. in the early days. Uh, very quickly learned that Western management styles don't work over there. You need you need guidance and support to to do it effectively overseas. It was has been my experience and many other people's experience. So once we got that nailed down, and that took a few years, a big difference to me is that I could focus on growing the business. Yep. Prior to that, all I was doing was putting out fires, looking after staff, dealing with you know recruitment and hiring and all of that, all of the challenges that come with that, and so. It was a breath of fresh air for me because I was like, right, well, now we're actually a much larger MSP than than a lot of our competition, which was really cool. And that gave me a lot of confidence. And so instead of looking at tickets and, you know, thinking about computer problems all the time, I just started to read books about sales. I just used, I just went, well, I've spent 10 years doing tech. Why don't I spend at least a year reading books about selling and books about marketing? And I started, instead of going to tech conferences, I started to go to marketing conferences and things like that. So I was re-engineering myself and re-educating myself because I knew now I've got something that I can grow. Now we've overcome that bottleneck of people that tend to, tends to slow MSPs down from their growth. Now I can actually go out and grow the business. And, and that was a breath of fresh air. I also got to travel a lot more, which was great. So again, I mentioned before, my family were very young at the time. The kids weren't in school. And so I would say, hey, let's let's do a bit of travel. And we were able to spend time He's in, in, obviously in the Philippines and do a bit of travel there. But my partner is from Canada and we got to spend lots of more time with her family over in Canada. And the business just ran a little bit more effectively and, and I was able to manage it by mobile. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Living the dream. <laughs> it was, yeah, it definitely was. Oh, excellent. I'm sure there's a lot of MSP owners out there that would love to have an opportunity like that. Totally. So, James, with all these benefits that you found when you outsource, when you developed the offshore team, tell us then, how did how did Benchmark 365 come about? So how did the evolution mm. of, of doing this or providing mm-hmm. this for other MSP owners come about? Yeah, again, really fortuitously, we, we didn't have a plan to launch anything like Benchmark. We were actually quite happy with our competitive edge, really, we were an early adopter of outsourcing or, or offshoring was what we, what we would call it. At the time, we didn't know many MSPs that were doing it. And so we were sort of pioneering that that concept. And of course, everybody said we were crazy and it's not going to work. And that, that's the sort of stuff that drives me forward <laughs> as an individual. So so kept going and kept persevering. And I think what tended to happen is that as we started to get more successful as a business and as our marketing started to improve, people realized that this was actually working for us and asked me, hey, can you like take us over there and show us how to do it? The great thing about the managed services industry, Lara, is you do share all of your concepts and ideas with people. It's not a big secret the more we work together. And so I offered to help a number of MSPs do it. But when they realized what was involved, they basically d- didn't want to do it. For me, I was happy to get out of my comfort zone, fly to a developing nation, rough it, you know, yeah. basically risk a bit of capital and risk my reputation, I suppose, in doing this. But for some of the more established MSPs, they didn't want to do it. They were quite comfortable in their life. They didn't want to get on a plane. And as I mentioned earlier, you got to like to really get this right. Like if you want to DIY something like this, you really need to invest in it and that's your time and capital to do it. So long story short, we tried to show people how to do it our way and they didn't want to do it. And then eventually we got approached by an MSP that asked us, he said, 
he was in a similar situation to where I was. He'd been 10 years in business. He'd had a lot of trouble getting off the tools. He was working weekends and nights. He had a baby on the way and his wife and himself hadn't been on holidays in 10 years. Yeah. And so he said, look, can you just help me out? I don't want to set up my own team or anything like that. Can you? Can I just tap into your resourcing for a month and can you run my MSP? And so we just happened to say yes. Felt like it was like, okay, let's help out. And that ended up being a huge success and, and it ended up continuing. So that engagement continued. His customers said that the support was better because we always answered the phone. We were available 24 hours a day. We had a bigger team, so they weren't dependent on this one individual. And yep. so um, that was really inspiring. And then, so we called that a pilot and that was a successful pilot. And then so a couple of other people approached us and it happened again and again, and it was really successful. So that's when we decided to start benchmark and start really turning this into a business model for MSPs. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say this was a bit of a light bulb moment for you to be able to develop a service that provided a reliable outsourced help desk service that wasn't necessarily just focused on putting a butt on a seat, like it was it was outcome focused? Right. Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of parts there. One is that, I, as I said at the start of this podcast, I really got into business to help people. You know, I really, I loved being a tech. Like I loved going out and particularly in the sort of early 2000s, none of the customers understood IT at all. So I was this whiz kid genius that could solve a problem. And I was really, it was my happy place until it became not a happy place for me in terms of growth. So when this individual approached me and said, hey, I could use your help, and then it happened again and again, I found myself back in a really great space for me that I could actually do something. I had a set of skills that would enable me to help a managed service provider business owner. And so that felt really good. But what I did know, having been, having worked offshore for some years now, because we're, we're now three or four years past that initial journey, what I realized is there's lots of ways to skin the cat. And the most common way is that you go to this butts on seat model, as you, as you call it, Lara, where you hire yep. one, one person in a call center or two people in a call center through the BPO industry. And I'd been through that experience and that did not work for me. I knew that there were challenges in like low scale hiring offshore. I just knew that it didn't work for us and I knew it didn't work for a lot of other people. I also knew that quality was a really big challenge that if you just hire someone overseas and you expect their quality to be at the same level of yours without oversight and support, I knew that wouldn't work. So when we designed Benchmark, we said we're gonna eliminate that problem by supplying an entire team to our MSP partners. So that's a team of dispatch, level one, level two, level three, quality assurance overseeing that team, a management team, a recruitment team, a training team. Obviously we had to build all of this, so it was really daunting, but what we knew is that model had a much higher chance of success for our partners than the traditional butts on seat hiring, you know, hiring to save a few bucks overseas. Yeah, absolutely. All right, great. And so now Benchmark 365 supports a large portfolio of MSP companies all around the world. So you've got customers in, you've got MSPs in the US, you've got some in the UK, lots in Australia and in Canada. Um, I suppose, tell us where, where are sort of most of these MSPs located and what company size are they? Are they, you know, different larger MSPs or are they more, you know, a couple of one-man bands? What does that look like? Yeah, so we, we don't typically discriminate on size. So there are obviously MSPs that may be a little too small to start with benchmark. It just, if you, I guess the, the theory is if you're too small to 
hire someone part-time, then it might be too small to work with a benchmark. So we don't tend to have a lot of really micro, micro, small MSPs or startup MSPs. But aside from that, they come in all shapes and sizes, Lara. So we've got MSPs that sort of fit into that, you know, 1 million to 2 million revenue range. They might have somewhere between 10 and 15 employees currently. We have MSPs that are sort of north of $5 million that are, have fairly large teams and are just hitting some growth constraints. So they're, they're working with us and we've worked with enterprise MSPs or, or just MSP divisions as well. We have a solution that kind of scales down or up to whatever that business needs at this particular time. But the main aim of it is once you have benchmarked, the idea is that your people problem has diminished significantly, which means that you can now focus on growing your business or getting some of your life back. Yeah, that's an excellent strap line as well for the company. <laughs> Solving the people problem. Exactly. All right, All right James. And, uh, and just in the last five minutes, so, so we can see on the website that there are a number of great MSP companies who are customers of Benchmark 365. Anecdotally, can you tell us a quick story of one of them and, and how they benefited from working with Benchmark 365? Yeah, absolutely. There's so many stories. And, and as you say, if you visit our website, benchmark365.com, there's a number of case studies there, as well as some articles that have been written by third parties that have reviewed our service. So you can, you can check that out. The most recent one comes to mind. We have a partner in Alberta, Canada, and their name is Bulletproof, and they've been in the industry for as long as I have, maybe a little longer. Really successful MSP, very successful MSP by all accounts. Really great leadership team and a really great team. But they're hitting the same constraints that we're seeing across the board around the world. Really hard to find staff. They had a really great strategy where they wanted to develop people, you know, bring people in at a say an entry level and develop them and train them and and bring them up the food chain. But as they attempted to do that, they hit constraints such as train them and they leave. So it was just two steps forward, two steps back that a lot of us in the MSP world can relate to. Or as they grew and they became more specialized as a managed service provider, people became pigeonholed. So they got stuck in a specific role and there was no there was no room for growth because they really needed them in that function and yeah. there was no the ceiling was low. And so they came to us about a year ago and they said, we're, we're ready. We're ready to give it a go. We've tried other outsources and not had a great experience. And they've, they've now pushed the majority of their customer work over to Benchmark. Their internal team who are amazing are now doing more proactive services. They're working on projects. They're working on more billable work for the company. So the company's actually growing and their customers are happy because they're getting a consistent service 24 hours a day via Benchmark 365. So wow. that's a great story and that, that's up on the website. It's just gotten up there in the last few days. Yeah, and that's that's one of many of some of the great case studies that are on the site. Yeah. All right, awesome. Well, that's, that's all the time that we have for today. Thanks again, James, for your time and, and your industry expertise. For more information on James and also for Benchmark 365, please check out the website at www.benchmark365.com and have a wonderful day. Thanks, James. Thanks, Lara. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.